Amen. Good morning. Uh, good morning to those of you joining us online uh, as well. Uh, if you have a Bible or a phone, uh, don't you want to open it up and head to Luke chapter, Luke chapter 24? I think the, the verses will be up on the screen uh, behind me if, if you don't have a phone uh, or a Bible, but it'd be good for you to follow, uh, follow along. Um, I was joking with guys uh, asking me when we were hanging around before the start of the service um, uh, that I had misplaced the PowerPoint presentation for this morning, but they thought I'd misplaced my notes and they thought I was very calm having you know, misplaced my notes about what I'm going to talk about. But I was like, well, it's not difficult. It's, it's Easter resurrection. There's like only one thing you can really talk about. Uh, so it's like everyone knows the story already, you know, like Jesus rises from the dead. Like, let's, let's close in prayer, you know, let's go home. And, uh, but there's a bit more to say about it uh, and the implications of, of this uh, possibly the most important day for Christians and for the whole world, I would say. Uh, it's the most treasured day, I think, for Christians and the most important day for the world. And we're going to be looking at some of the implications of it from Luke chapter 24. We're going to be looking at uh, from verse 36 uh, to 49. Let me give you some R before we dive into these verses. It's Resurrection Sunday. Jesus has, has risen uh, from death. He's come out the tomb. He's appeared um, to Mary and to others. It's been reported to the disciples. Peter and others have raced to the tomb to go see for themselves. Uh, they are collectively dismayed. They're battling to believe what's going on. They're a bit um, in between. Some of them want to believe. Others are just like, maybe they've stolen the body. What's going on? Like, what's going to happen to us? What if they accuse us? They're sort of in hiding uh, at this point. Um, Jesus, in the passage that this morning, uh, Jesus has encountered two disciples who are walking along a road to Emmaus. So they're taking like a 10K walk. Um, north out of Jerusalem, and as they're walking along, they're chatting uh, with each other, and Jesus just sort of saddles up alongside them and says, you know, what are you guys chatting about? And like, they, they basically say, like, well, where have you been living under a rock? Don't you know what's, what's happened this weekend? It's been a pretty big deal. Um, and, and then, I mean, he says, what, what happened? You know, this is interesting. Tell me more. And they talk about, you know, Jesus, and then he basically mildly rebukes them. Uh, and then proceeds to give them probably the best sermon ever and explains to them all the way from the New Testament how, how everything needed to happen in the way it happened around Messiah. Um, and they walk in and talk in and they get sort of to the village where they're going and Jesus pretends to uh, keep going. Like that's not where he's stopping. And they say, no, Jesus, come, well, come stay with us. And they pile in together. As they, as they are sitting there at the table, the, the, the passage tells us he breaks bread. And suddenly they realize who it is. And they suddenly click, this is Jesus. And as they do, he disappears. So it's like, oh, it's Jesus. Pew! Jesus is gone. He disappears on their side. They are just so juiced about this whole uh, revelation of what's going on. They get up and they run the 10Ks. They break the time trial of a PBs getting back to uh, Jerusalem. Find the disciples and they start telling the disciples what's going on. They say, oh, you know. And as they're talking, Jesus shows up uh, in their midst. And now they are all like terrified. And so he greets them. And that's where we're going to pick up uh, in the passage here from verse 36. Okay. As they he himself, this is Jesus, stood in their midst. He said to them, peace 
to you. But they were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. Why are you troubled? He asked them. And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, because a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you can see I have. Having said this, he showed them his hands and feet. But while they were still amazed and in disbelief because of their joy, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. He told them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. Everything written about me in the law of Moses, prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He also said to them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all men at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And look, I'm sending you what my father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. Let's pray together. Father, we are we're so grateful for the astounding gift of your word and for the reality of the Holy Spirit that day after day, week after week, year after year, opens up our eyes and our minds and our hearts to, to see and to perceive. And, and Jesus, just like you did for your disciples, we pray that you would open up our minds to see and open up our ears to hear your voice. That even today as we consider things that are so familiar to us, that we would hear your voice with new clarity, with new power, with new freshness amongst us, and that we would be strengthened, that we would know that we have had an encounter with the living God this morning on this, the most wonderful of days. We pray for your help for all of us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to I consider four things that uh, under the title, because of the resurrection, because of the resurrection, four things uh, are true. Uh, I, I assume, because I know many of you, uh, most of you, some not, that the majority of you are believers in Jesus, some of you may not be. Uh, and so what we're going to do this morning is not so much what I've done in other years where we go through proofs of the resurrection. This is why you can have belief and full confidence in the resurrection. There's a lot of evidence and proof around that. I'm not going to do that. You can go find one of our previous sermons and you can look on the internet. There's a, an avalanche of evidence that would bolster your faith as, if you're a believer and cause you um, or give you a lot to think about if you're not a believer in Jesus. I want to look at the topic this morning of because of the resurrection. Because the resurrection did happen, four things that we see Jesus saying and doing here that uh, speak to us this morning. And the first thing is that because of the resurrection, we can have a faith that has foundations. We can have a faith that has foundations. This is radically, radically important, whether you're a believer or not. If you're a Christian, you need to answer the question this morning, why do I believe in Jesus? 
Why do I believe in Jesus? Why are you a Christian? You need a really good answer for that. Uh, because your whole life is affected by it. Your whole eternity is affected by it. If you are not a believer in Jesus, you need an even better answer for why you do not believe in Jesus, why you have a lack of faith, why there would be no foundations to that. Uh, I found it amazing looking at this passage again uh, this week. Uh, Jesus rises from the grave. And this is the first day now. This is day one. He's, He's with his disciples. What is he doing? They, they are terrified. Now, we read it there. They are they're basically quaking. They think they're dealing with a ghost. <laughs> like, you know, we're more civilized these days. You know, if, I, I, I suppose I, I would, I don't like those paranormal sci-fi kind of movies. I like comedies and documentaries and all that kind of stuff. But some people like that stuff. My daughter loves those kinds of movies. All these, everything weird, and you don't even know who the people are, whether they're ghosts or whatnot, that kind of thing. But, you know, we think we're quite sophisticated these days. We don't really believe in ghosts. Maybe you do. Um, but these guys, maybe they're a bit simpler back then. They had no category for what was happening. So in the Jewish world, there was a belief in a resurrection. But it was all going to happen at the end. Like there was a collective resurrection at the end. No one, no individual was going to rise from death ahead. No one was going to beat the queue. You know, no one, no, no, no individual was rising before everyone. And so they had no, even because Jesus had told them, I don't know how many times throughout his life, look, I'm going to die. You know, they're going to crucify me. They're going to bury me. And three days later, I'm going to rise. And they're like, okay, they just smile and nod. They're like, no, no, that, we hear what you're saying, but no one does that. Like they didn't have a category in, in Jewish thought at that time for that to happen. So when he does, their explanation is this is a ghost. This can't actually be Jesus. So what does he do? That's why there's so much detail in the Gospels. He's like, okay, cool. Come and touch me. Come and, like, come and poke my hands and my feet like you can, you can feel me that I'm not a ghost. And then what does he do? He asks for some food. Ghosts don't eat fish. Well, I mean, maybe, I don't know what ghosts do, but he's trying, uh, he's trying to convince them. Like, I'm not a ghost. Look, I'm going to eat. Uh, fish, I mean, poor Ike's just risen from dead, they give him fish. I mean, I'm not a fish person, uh, but obviously back then, maybe that's all they, he wanted was some fish. He's at pains now that, to, to comfort terrified disciples with the reality of who he is. He wants them to know, with beyond a shadow of a doubt, that he is physically resurrected from apparition. This is not some disembodied uh, soul this is Jesus, and he said, I'm going to be resurrected. I'm not going to be resuscitated. And he like, didn't die, and he sort of like come out of the tomb or beaten and battered like he didn't really die. Uh, the, the, he is the first in a totally new category, which is resurrection. Lazarus was resuscitated in some ways because he died again. A resurrection is different. A resurrection is raised to life never to die again. And he is the first one and he comes in this new body and the disciples just don't have any category to understand it. But it's essential that they believe because these are the people who are going to carry the message of Jesus. They're going to be the witnesses. We'll talk about that. The reason you're sitting in a church this morning is because of these guys. It was important that they got this, that they believed it because they would need to be willing to die for this truth. So he's like, come and touch and see. Your faith needs foundations. So it's not just that. He, he's eating fish, but he's letting them touch him. And then what does he do? 
then he gives them a follow-on to the previous sermon that the other two got on the Emmaus road. And it says, beginning with Moses and the prophets, Psalms, he opens up the scriptures, he shows them why all of this needed to happen to the Messiah. Can you imagine sitting and hearing that sermon? Some of you are thinking, that would have taken way too long. No, I, I didn't. Uh, send me the, the, the notes summary. It must have been amazing to have Jesus himself explain to them. It says he opens up uh, their minds to this truth. And I don't know which, I don't know which passages to. I don't know if he took them to Isaiah 53 and explained the whole picture of the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. And he says, can you see that? That's me. Or he took them to Psalm 29 or any one of another hundred psalms. Messianic scriptures, the point to him say, and once they've seen it, you can't unsee it. Have you ever had that experience? I think for many of us who are believers now, once you know that, once you see that Jesus is the fulfillment of Messianic prophecy, we read the Old Testament very differently now. We see, and the only thing I'm thinking Jesus, you can't, you can't unsee it. It's there. And he opens up. Why does he do this? Because their faith. What does he choose to be the foundations for their faith? It's the word of God. It's the scripture. So they, they can go out into the world as witnesses with um, foundations for their faith that are in the scriptures. Yes, there's a Messiah, but he was predicted and planned, and God prepared everything and orchestrated every single event in the world to bring about the conditions for the Messiah to come into the world. It's all to that moment, to this person, to this time. Faith that has foundations. Let me ask you again, if you're a believer in Jesus, what are the foundations of your faith? Why do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe that he physically rose from the dead? I have some people I've argued with, they say, no, it's not such a big deal. Jesus is real in my heart. If they find the bones of Jesus in a tomb somewhere in Israel, they won't affect me kind of thing because I know he's risen in my heart and it's alive and it's changed my life and stuff. I'm like, no, 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 you don't get to do that. And Paul says that in 1 Corinthians. He says, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, this is all a waste of time. All to be, every Christian is to be pitied more than any other poor soul on the planet because you're a deluded fool. If they do find the tomb of Jesus, you know, we're all in big trouble. They're not going to. They're not going to. But if they did, you can't, you can't say the physical resurrection of Jesus isn't important. Everything hangs on it. But our faith needs foundations, and our faith can have foundations in the Word. We don't get to touch and feel Jesus. We don't get to go and feel his hands and feet. But what we do get to do is look here and see through the Holy Spirit how God has prepared all the way through his Word, all the way through redemptive history, the nation of Israel, the sacrificial system, everything laid upon itself, pointing towards Jesus so that our faith can have strong foundations. And if, you are, if you're not a believer, I would encourage you this morning to ask questions. And God loves those questions. And maybe challenge you this morning to doubt some of your doubts. Tim Keller has a phrase uh, which I find very helpful, to doubt your doubts. You may have doubts about Christianity. It's a good practice to doubt the doubts that you have. Some people are so certain about their doubts about Christianity. And he says, I understand your hesitancy, but maybe it's time to doubt your doubts. 
Don't be so certain about in your unbelief. Question those things. Kick the tires. Ask. Everything turns on this. Everything. This is the most important decision anyone can ever make is what will they do with Jesus of Nazareth? Will they believe that he rose from the dead? And because he did, and we believe it to be true, everything else turns on that. And like Paul says in 1 Corinthians, we're not wasting our time. We're not to be pitied because he really did rise from death. Our faith has foundations. The second thing we see here because of the resurrection, we have a message of forgiveness. We have a message of forgiveness. Have a look in verse 46. Jesus says, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead the third day and repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This is the message of the gospel, the message of the Christian church, is that there's forgiveness of sins available for those who repent. And I'll be the first to acknowledge that it's hard to talk about, uh, it's hard to talk about sin these days. I think Queen mentioned this on Friday. People don't like to talk about sin. Uh, we don't describe ourselves easily as sinners these days. We make mistakes, we're not perfect, we're a work in progress, whatever, but we don't like, like to lead with that and be very front-footed about, you know, I'm a sinner, why sin? That's a bit heavy. Or um, we, we find ourselves drinking the Kool-Aid of the culture that we find ourselves a part of, of this moralistic relativism where um, who's to say what sin is? Who, who's to say? I mean, yeah. are, are you calling me a sinner? Like who gets to decide Who's a sinner? Uh, hasn't that shifted? Hasn't it changed? Haven't we progressed uh, as, as, as we've found out new things? You know, sinner, they, maybe they, you know, they used to call it that stuff now, but now we're brighter, our eyes are open, our minds are enlightened. Uh, you're not really a sinner. Um, you're, just, you're just different. You have different preferences and leanings and priorities and lifestyles and stuff like that. No one's calling you a sinner. And yet if you, if you, if you wind back the language of sin, too far, you lose the essence of the gospel. You lose any hope of the gospel because sinners need a savior. People who make mistakes, I don't know what they need. They need to try harder, do better, and, not, and make less mistakes. But if you're a sinner, then you have good news because there's a savior for sinners. There, uh, Jesus is not a, a, a helper, cheerleader kind of thing like you know, we need to acknowledge our own sin before we can receive the good news of the gospel of salvation. And, and it's incredibly difficult to have these conversations. Some of you uh, will have encountered this in, in talking with friends and family kind of thing who, who have different viewpoints and different lifestyles and, and, and different preferences and, and, yeah, and just blatantly who, who sin in different ways to the way you sin. Okay, because it's not like you're without sin. They just sin differently to the way you sin. And if you challenge that, you call anything out, uh, you'll, you'll have experienced some of, that, some of that heat. Who are you to call anyone out? But I, I want to I put a, a stake in the ground again this morning and remind us that man's greatest need is to be reconciled to God. Every single human being's greatest need is to be reconciled in relationship to God. And the Bible makes it abundantly clear that the thing that's broken that relationship is sin. There needs to be forgiveness for sin before there can be reconciliation with God. 
And so that's why it's so important who Jesus is and what he's done, because it's only in and through him that we get reconciled with God, him that meets our greatest and deepest need. And it's not this fuzzy, hazy thing. It's so abundantly clear. Jesus makes it so clear to us. There is forgiveness for sin. We all, we all would say, yeah, we want that. But that comes through repentance. It's not that Jesus died on the cross and everyone's just like, that's so cool. Jesus died for the whole world. Jesus loves everyone. Let's just rock and roll. There's something needs to happen in order to experience the forgiveness of sin. And it's repentance. That's a word you never hear these days. You, or you, maybe you read it like somebody is repentant kind of thing. They made a mistake, they did something bad, and they get up in front of them in a news conference and they say they're sorry, and that's repentance. And the Bible term of repentance is a bit different to that. And very simply put, the, 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 many of you will know this. You can jump up here and say this. Repentance, the picture in the scriptures is that your whole life is going in that direction. And you stop. Something happens that arrests your life, causes you to think differently about your life and the world and God, and you turn and you walk in exactly the opposite direction with a new heart and new convictions, new priorities. You were going that way and you were relying on yourself. You were a good person, whatever else. You weren't the worst person you met or you just didn't care. You didn't believe in God, whatever else, but you were happily going in that direction. And I just want to say this. I know a lot of happy non-Christians. Very happy non-Christians. I don't believe the, the story you'll get from some people say like, yeah, everyone who doesn't follow Jesus is miserable in their sin. I'm like, no, quite a few of my mates who are not Christians, they're pretty freaking happy at the moment. They're like, woo, you know, they hung over in bed this morning, they had the time of their lives. They don't care about God. They don't feel the weight of conviction. They are happily wandering off to a Christless eternity. They're not sitting there wringing their hands every evening thinking, ooh, ooh, I think I'm missing out. They have no regard for God. They're happy in their ignorance. And it's the worst possible place to be as a happy, ignorant sinner heading to a Christless eternity. Repentance is turning from that and realizing as God arrests your life that a change needs to happen. And you turn and you go in the other direction. And you commit yourself to following Jesus with all of the ups and downs, all of your own continuing imperfections. You surrender your life to him. You say, yeah, you might not do it happily. Was it C.S. Lewis who said he was the most reluctant convert in all of England, when he became a Christian, <laughs> he was just, oh, okay, God, you are who you say you are. And he reluctantly bowed his heart in response to God. He wasn't like, woo, woo. He was like, ah, I've been cornered. I've been cornered. God is who he says he is. I can't, I can't unprove this. Oh, dear. I'm stuck. I need to become a follower of Jesus. Sometimes that happens to people. We have a message of forgiveness. Thirdly, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have a mission to the world. We have a mission to the world. Jesus says this message will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. 
He says, you are witnesses of these things. You're witnesses of these things. He told that to his first disciples. It's the same thing for each one of us. That word martyr that we get, uh, that is the word for witness. Uh, in the original, when you read their witness, that word is martyr. That's where we get the word martyr from because you willingly give up uh, yourself to be somebody who witnesses to something that you've seen. So this is incredibly important. This is why Jesus is at pains to help his disciples understand and have firm foundations of their faith, get clear on who he is, that he is resurrected, because they're going to be witnesses. You can't be a witness of something you haven't seen or experienced. But an accident, five minutes to be a witness, because you don't have a clue what happened, who was in the wrong. You have to see it. They can ask have been something that happened in your life if you're a believer now. They needed to be these initial uh, witnesses, these initial disciples. They see Jesus like right. And it all starts with them and that each of us. You can't speak of something that you don't know. You can't speak of someone who you don't know. A mission to the world. Let me just say this. that I'm speaking mainly now to those of you who would call yourselves Christians. This is normal Christianity. This is normal Christianity. It struck me again reading the story that Jesus rocks up with his disciples and once they overcome their fear and their terror, these words to them, uh, you will be witnesses of this and this gospel will be preached in all the nations. How do you think they responded to that? Come on, that... Like, oh, I don't know, Jesus, that sounds like it's going to be tough. Like, you, you know, I'm not very good with people. I, you know, like, when you see the resurrected Jesus and he explains to you that he is the long-awaited and filled Messiah, the sent one of God, who comes with a message of forgiveness for the sins of the world. The response, I think, of these disciples, and you see it in the scriptures, is absolutely, we'll tell the whole world, even if it costs us our lives. What a privilege. What a privilege to introduce the world to the resurrected king of heaven. What a privilege to do that. Not a, oh dear, I mean, that's going to be awkward. Or, you know, I'm not a gifted evangelist. You know, there's so many excuses that we have as Christians of why people just don't talk about Jesus. But why wouldn't we want to? Why wouldn't we want to? This hit me with new force this, this week. Why on earth wouldn't Christians want to tell every last created human being about the forgiveness of sins available in Jesus Christ? Why wouldn't we want to do that? But yet we feel like it's a duty and it's a burden and we're embarrassed and we're scared and it, it, we make it feel so complicated and clumsy and like hard work and weird. And it shouldn't. It should just be us declaring, God... I, I met Jesus. He forgave my sin. He changed my life. I wish you could meet him too. Because he's real and he walked out of a tomb and he loves you and he died on a cross in your place for your sin. This will be preached in all the nations. That struck me with new force again this week. The nations of the world. The world's got a lot smaller, hasn't it? Since then. Now, now we know news that's happening all over the world. At the moment, you can't really travel anywhere. But again, we'll be able to travel. And I want to 
provoke us this morning. I want to ask you the question, what part are you playing? What part are you playing in the preaching of the gospel to the nations of the world? We all play different parts. We all play different parts. But Matthew 24 verse 14 says this, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a testimony to all the nations and then the end will come. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a testimony to all the nations and then the end will come. I remember so distinctly 20 years ago, a sermon by a guy called George Verver. Some of you may know him or have heard of him. He started an, op- an organization called Operation Mobilization. It's probably one of the biggest missionary sending organizations in the world. And he's a quirky, interesting character. He preaches in this, jack- in this jacket that's a map of the world. Uh, and he's famous for preaching with this inflated globe. He holds it above his head and he spins it around and he prays for the nations and he throws it up and down and stuff. He's not your normal kind of uh, preacher or pastor. Remember in Amsterdam 21 years ago, him preaching a message on that verse and him finishing the sermon holding this globe above his head and yelling at an auditorium of 8,000 people, if you want the king to come, then finish the job. He threw the globe up and wandered off the stage. And 8,000 people from 190 nations just sat there thinking, if you want the king to come, then finish the job. Let me ask you on this resurrection morning, if you're a believer in Jesus, what are you doing to hasten the coming of the king by seeing the gospel preached in the nations of the world? My prayer was that God would lay his hand on people in our church and call them to the nations of the world with the gospel. That we'd have the privilege of sending people. It still happens. The, the culture out there will tell you that it shouldn't happen. Then if you remember a couple of years ago, um, I think his name was John Chow, American missionary, he went to the, that, that uh, island just of the south of India, uh, the hardest people, the most isolated people to go and reach, and, and he ended up, they ended up killing him. And uh, that was tragic, and I don't want to go into the details of all of that and the wisdom of it and stuff, but the reaction from the, the media was the telling part for me. The reaction was singularly this, who are you Christians to go and impose your beliefs on other people? We're sad he got killed, but you deserve it if you're going to go and Impose your Christianity on the world. That's the mentality in the world. Don't, don't, don't go to outlandish lengths to tell people about Jesus. Just leave them in their ignorance and unbelief. Even, even as I say that, it might not sit well with some of you. They might be like, oh, I don't know about I wouldn't call it that way. Jesus says this. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in all the nations. He's not like, not that nation, not that nation, leave those oaks alone. He just, just go. Go. And equip people to preach the gospel in the nations of the world. The last thing we see that's true because of the resurrection is a promise of his presence. It says in verse 49, and look, I'm sending you what my father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. <laughs> Basically, he says to them, look, don't go anywhere. And don't try to do anything. So wait in the city. I need to send you some help. Don't, don't plan anything. Don't, I mean, they were still terrified. They, I don't think they were planning to do anything. But he tells them, go and sit and wait because you're going to need some help. You're going to need power and you're going to need presence. And they'd probably forgotten again and again that Jesus had promised 
them and taught them. In John 15, he says, look, when I'm going to leave you, but I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I, I'm going to send you another counselor, another comforter, and he will be with you always, the promised Holy Spirit. And he'll do all of these things, but you need to wait. He, he encourages you, you need to wait until you're clothed with power from on high. Maybe, maybe you have tried religion. Maybe you have tried church and you weren't very good at it. Maybe you're trying it still, but you just find it doesn't really work. You're not a very good Christian. It just feels more like hard work. It doesn't feel like fun. You struggle. You, I, I can almost guarantee you what you are missing is the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit. You can have religious people who attend things or you can be indwelt with the power of the Holy Spirit which changes our hearts, gives us a new affection for God and enables in us a different kind of lifestyle and a different obedience. And particularly here as Jesus calls his disciples to be witnesses of him in the world and to preach this gospel of forgiveness, he says you're going to need power and you're going to need my presence. And the amazing thing is that you keep reading the story, that's exactly what happens. As they wait there, the fulfillment of Joel 2 happens and God pours out his spirit. And again and again, God does that on believers. He pours out his spirit. And that's our assurance today. For those of us who are Christians, we're full of the spirit and there's more and more available. We're not left alone. We're not left powerless. God has come to us. And for those who may not be believers in Jesus, this is the amazing invitation and promise to you for those who do repent and turn and place trust in Christ, the presence of God with you forever that nothing can take away. Nothing else in all the world touches that, to have God with you because he is in you. Nothing in all the world comes close to that. Because of the resurrection, all of these things are true. We have a faith that has foundations. We have a message of forgiveness. We have a mission to the world and we have the promise of his presence with us. All of these things are true because Jesus walked out of that tomb. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, we thank you. We thank you this morning that because, because of your love, uh, your love and your desire for your own glory in the nations of the world and because of your love for us, you raised Jesus back to life through the power of the Spirit and gave him a resurrected body. And Jesus, you are alive now with that resurrected body the first of many who will come after you. And we long for that day where we share in what you already have and who you already are, the firstborn from among the dead. And uh, Father, as we consider these things this morning, we pray that uh, you would ground us again and give to us confidence in why we believe in you, how firm the foundations of our faith can be because 
It's not just an emotive thing that we've been swept up in. It's not a, a faith we've inherited from our parents. It's true. And there is such a, a, a overwhelming evidence you've given us to believe in you. We thank you. We thank you for that. We pray that you would um, stir in our own hearts this morning love for you because you have forgiven our sins. This whole weekend is, is about that, the message of the gospel that you have forgiven our sins and as we've repented and placed our faith in you, we've experienced the wonder of new life in your name. And pray for those who may be here uh, this morning or, or watching online who've never taken that that step of placing belief in you, and I pray you'd give them grace to do that even today. To turn from walking in the direction of self-reliance and stop and walk in the direction, face towards you, fully reliant on the grace that comes from Jesus Christ. And that you would embolden us who call you Lord in our mission. We pray that you would raise us up and place a greater burden on our hearts for the gospel of Jesus declared in the nations of the world. And that you give us so much joy because we are in your presence, because we are always with you, because you have come to dwell within us. Thank you, Father, all of these things come to us, are a gift to us because of the resurrection of you, Jesus Christ, the one who we love and worship and adore this morning. Thank you, Father. Amen.